What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to episode number 40 of the Marine Layer Podcast with TJ Mathewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we have our two Mariners storyline. Some breaking news this morning that we'll get into should be a very interesting conversation. We'll go down on the farm and pick out our standout Mariners minor leaguer. We'll take a look around baseball with our MLB wraparound. The first deadline piece is on the move. It's almost that time of year. Very exciting. We have a Russell Wilson umpire of the week, and we'll close out the show with Speak Your Mind. As always, we just remind you, if you're listening on our audio platforms, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, or Amazon, go over to YouTube. Our full-form video podcasts are there. Go hit subscribe. It helps us out immensely. Go leave a like, a comment on our YouTube shows, and go check that out in the video form too. If you're watching on YouTube, go check us out on our audio platforms. You can go download our episodes, give us a follow, leave us a review, leave a five-star review. That helps us out big time too. And as always, you want to check us out on social media where we do a bunch of content. You can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Thursday, July 20th. What a disaster. <sighs> I'm really going through it at this point. We try to be p- transparent on this pod. That's what we're going to do. This season is really draining me, dude. It's it's at the point now as we start to get to the end of July where I'm feeling worn out, down, exhausted. And what happened today really just pushed it over the edge. Did you, Jared Kelnick Truther, also kick a water cooler when you saw the news? I thought about throwing my phone, but then I was like, well, that costs a lot of money. I'm not going to do that. So I restrained myself. I did not. Although if there had been a water cooler around, maybe I would have done differently. If you haven't seen the news, you've probably seen it. But if you haven't, Jared Kelnick has a foot fracture after he kicked a water cooler in the Mariners dugout after striking out against Duran in the ninth inning against the Twins on Wednesday night in a frustrating loss with the time run at the plate. Really unfortunate news for Jared, who was really turning it around with the the, the week out of the All-Star break. He's putting together better at-bats. He was hitting the ball really hard. We highlighted it in our Wednesday episode of really how he was turning his season around and starting to look maybe not exactly like his April self, but he was looking as a much more improved version of himself. And then a self-inflicted wound could take him out for the rest of the season. We have no idea how long it's going to take his foot to heal, but he was beside himself when he was talking to the media earlier today he, he when they asked him the first question he he didn't answer it for minutes because he he was so emotional about it that he let his teammates down and I get it he's an intense guy he's a competitor he wanted to win that at bat versus Duran he didn't and he ended up taking it out on the water cooler and water cooler unfortunately won so I'm gonna assume this is season ending we're here sitting at July 20th broken foot is about a six to eight week recovery time. Sometimes it can take longer than that. I am going to assume he is probably done for the year. That being said, 
Can this just kind of be a lesson? If you want to take something out on a water cooler, can you use your bat instead? You can just break your bat. That way you don't break your foot. A broken bat only costs you whatever, 100 or so bucks. You can get a new piece of wood just like you would if you broke a bat on a foul ball. Your feet, that's going to cost you. And let me tell you, surgery is a little more expensive than a broken bat. Although Kelnick does not need surgery. They clarified that. Just learn, you can learn a lesson from Jared. And you can also learn a lesson from Ryan Divish, who made sure to tweet out after that presser <laughs> that he had broken his hand. He broken his hand five times in his final collegiate. It was his final collegiate at bat. I, I, I need to pull the tweet up, but he, he punched a wall and he broke his hand for the fifth time. That's what he said. He said, yeah. just for reference, I broke my hand for the fifth time during my final college baseball at bat <laughs> when I punched a wall and broke my hand. <laughs> you know, I feel like there might be some similarities between Jared Kelnick and Ryan Divish. Both equally focused, both equally talented, equally gritty, and uh, both great baseball players. I mean... Yeah, Divish is a beat writer for a reason. He was all, he was an awesome baseball player. Now, for reference, like you're saying, Lyle, for people who want to take their anger out, I want to reference a David Ortiz clip. I think it was 20 or 2013 where he went to the Camden Yards phone to go to the, the, the bullpen phone, took his bat. Instead of arguing with the umpire, I, I can't remember if he got tossed first, um, but he went back to the dugout. He took his bat, walked back into the dugout, Guys are trying to calm him down, calm him down. And then he turns just suddenly, takes his bat and just attacks and destroys the bullpen phone, gets his fill, turns around and heads back out to the umpire to tell him he's a pile of shit, which I totally (laughs) respect. Uh, And if Kelnick did that, he might get suspended, but I would laugh at it. Do you remember that the Orioles gave David Ortiz a replaced bullpen phone as his going away present when he did his retirement tour? Yeah, I remember that. That was so on brand. Yeah, I would have been all for that. I would have been all for Kalnick breaking the bullpen phone and then going and screaming at the umpire. Hey, do what you got to do, as long as it doesn't involve broken bones, which this one unfortunately did. This sucks for Jared. I'm, I, I want to keep watching him. I do. He's fun. He, The way people were putting on Twitter emulated it perfectly. Watching him be so emotional about this, it's nice to see publicly like, these guys care about this. And it seems like sometimes he's the only one that is to that level of emotional connection and investment in winning baseball games that this is how he looks when he gets announced out for the season on on a self-inflicted injury. Yeah, so to get into more of the serious parts of this now, I mean, I feel for him. Obviously, nobody's happy this happened. Nobody's more upset about it than Jared. But you feel for him because you see how much he truly wants to win. And so I tweeted this out today, and I figured we'd talk about it a little bit on the podcast. I think Jared Kelnick is one of baseball's most misunderstood players. Because for those who don't have heavy investment in him or don't pay close attention to him, like the way Mariners fans do, you might look at him and say, oh, he's kind of, he looks mad all the time. You feel like he might be selfish because of what happened if if you just remember the 2021 stuff when he wasn't happy about the service time manipulation and everything that revolved around that and just kind of his whole persona as a whole. He's gritty. He's intense. Everything. That's not true. If you pay any attention to Jared Kelnick, you could not. It is so easy to see that that is so far from the truth in terms of who he is. He's just an intense guy. That part is true. But he cares. He's genuine. He's thoughtful about the game. 
He just wants to win that badly. He is not an asshole. He is not self-centered. He cares about his teammates. He cares about winning. And he just got his, he just let his emotions get the best of him on Wednesday night. Yeah, he's paying the price for it. But people make mistakes. It sucks that this is going to affect the team. But people, people are humans, right? It, this, this stuff happens. And he's learned his lesson to probably not do this again. Mm-hmm. Like, that's for sure. No punching walls, no, no kicking anything, nothing using a bodily part. I'll tell you, as as disappointed as I am with Jared's injury, I can tell you what I'm actually more disappointed in is what the Mariners' left field situation is going to be for the rest of the year. I could not be less excited about a position on this Mariners' ball club than what this left field group will be for the, le- the rest of the season. Cade Marlowe got called up. He made his major league debut today here on Thursday. I didn't realize how bad of a year, like a, how subpar of a year he was having down in Tacoma. In a hitter's league, Cade Marlowe's rocking an 86 WRC plus in Tacoma. He's going to platoon and hit against righties. As they said, it's going to be a full platoon and AJ Pollock is going to be a full platoon against lefties. Now, fun fact, Lyle. Since we last checked in on AJ Pollock's stats against lefties, his WRC plus was 13 the first time we checked on it against lefties uh, with people as many with as many at bats as he had. His WRC plus has actually gone down against lefties. As impossible as that seems, it has gone from 13 to 11. Incredible. It really is. For a guy that's career OPS against lefties entering the year is sky high. It's what he's done his whole career. Just absolutely mash southpaws. Like, what happened to that? He's old. Him and Colton. It seems like the tread is off the tires. So do we have a theory on why it was Marlowe over Taylor Trammell? I was about to ask you that. I'm honestly not sure. Maybe, maybe Taylor and his agent don't want to get called back up on rather try somewhere else that wouldn't be that wouldn't shock me I mean he's been up and down now three times right he's got one he's got one option he would have one option left or was that That his last one so I mean that wouldn't shock me right they've I know they've wanted to give Marlowe a shot that's why they had him on the taxi squad for the playoff roster last year but Taylor was clearly better in AAA he has a 121 WRC plus down in Tacoma and a little bit more familiarity with his game and what you feel like he could achieve. And Taylor's also a lefty in against righties in his career. He's had some level of his success that, you know, and he walks, he does strike out a little bit, but there's power in that bat. There's some things, you know, so it is a little puzzling, but if I were to actually think of a reason in Trammell's camp, why he's not up, I would guess that. That'd be interesting. Can he refuse that, though? If the team wants to call him up for where he's at in his career, he can't really refuse that, right? Well, there's a different... No, he couldn't refuse that, and refusing a call-up to the big leagues isn't always smart a smart financial decision. But if they view Marlowe and Trammell sort of on similar footing, and Taylor's like, hey, like you guys are going to make a trade at the deadline, want to throw me in there, and I can try with a new team with more outfield spots... I would appreciate that. The Mariners are like, sure. Okay, so we'll call up Kate instead with a little under two weeks until the deadline. So that, I would guess that. That could be it. And maybe we'll see Tramel get packaged here before August 1st. It's possible. 
Yeah, I mean, Marlowe had a good spring training before he got hurt, but it's like you said, he just hasn't really hit in Tacoma. He can play some decent defense. I mean, left field's one of the easier positions to play defensively, and hopefully he can at least be serviceable out there. But, man, I know they're probably not going to trade for an outfield bat. Now it feels like they need one because with that platoon for the rest of the year, if you're serious about still trying to get into the playoffs, that's not exactly inspiring. Maybe Cade Marlowe ends up being a good player at some point, but to ask him to immediately be an impact big league hitter as soon as he gets up when a team's trying to get into the playoffs, it's a little much to ask of a guy who wasn't really profiling into your big league picture here in 2023. We'll pocket the deadline conversation for a different episode, probably next week when we're really approaching the deadline. But as of now, for how this homestand has started, looks like they might sell or at least sell some pieces, in which case then you're not trading for a left fielder. You wouldn't, you're not giving up assets to throw some in the outfield. I, there was some links to Mark Canna on Twitter today, which if they were in a spot of winning would be very intriguing and I would be very okay with. Now, I texted you this this morning. I said I'd rather them had just signed him in the offseason like they were. we were asking them to when he was a free agent back before the 2021 season, but I digress. If he was on this roster and they're trying to win, that would be fine. I think before 2022, you mean. It was after 21. He was a free agent. Uh, I got my years mixed up. Okay. Yeah. Um, but still. Could have used Mark them both can- years. Mark Hanna would help this team. It's just a matter if they're going to really go for it or not. And Mark Hanna's not a thumper in the middle of the order, but he's a bat that can help. I mean, he's he, he gets on base a lot. He walks. He can play some left field, so that would help. But again, we can pocket most of this talk for next week. It is interesting that came out today, though. Last thing on Kelnick here before we move on. I will say, even with our own experience, when we talk to him for some of these player interviews that we do, we weren't sure how he was going to respond to it, right? I mean, we didn't know. Some some players say yes, some say no. That's just how it goes. We have to be respectful of guys' time, which we totally understand. And Jared's a busy guy. Again, he's very intense. He's got a very, very set schedule and routine, and he works his tail off, and we figure we can ask him for 30 seconds, but we don't know what's going to happen. And we asked him, and he was perfectly happy to give us his time. Now, again, he's intense. He's not going to be the one that's cracking all the jokes with you or anything like that. But he was thoughtful. He gave us some cool answers. He was happy to do it. Again, like I think he's very misunderstood. Like, like He was an asshole in no way, shape, or form. He was totally okay with talking to us, and I certainly appreciate that. I know you did too. Yeah, he just didn't smile. But no, again, that, for the type of person he is, that's not really that surprising. That's who he is. Like, that's who he is. He's just, he's not a guy that's going to crack all the jokes. And that's okay. Every guy's different. But he was still happy to give us the time, which was really cool. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with the Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Second storyline here. On a little bit of a happier note, the Mariners make two call-ups this week in the bullpen with two relievers that I think are pretty exciting. 
Prelander Barella finally gets up. We have been highlighting him and detailing him for a couple months now as he's been dominant down in the minors out of the bullpen. And Devin Sweet as well, who, if you remember, was highlighted on one of our minor league segments a couple months ago, and his season was good enough where he earned the promotion. And we got to see Devin Sweet last night, Wednesday night's game. Still haven't seen Baroa yet as of this recording, but we can just start with Baroa. I think the big concern going into the bullpen was going to be limiting walks, and that's what he's done over his last 11 innings down in Arkansas. He walked just one batter and struck out 36%. Those are two different measurables, I know, but I know the one walk, so that stands out a little bit more. But overall, his percentages over those 11 innings since June 17th, 11 innings, 36% strikeout rate, 2.8% walk rate, a FIP of 1.6, and an ERA of zero. So those things are showing, yeah, he's kind of moving into that role He's really starting to 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 feel comfortable in that bullpen role. And he also pitched multiple innings a couple times in that stretch, which is pretty valuable if a reliever is able to do that. Sweet as well. The dude has a really good changeup. Wasn't a huge fan of how they used him yesterday. Thought that might have been a bit of an unfair spot for him. I guess a vote of confidence, but in a one-run game and the Mariners end up giving up a Sweet ends up giving up a two-run home run, and then the Mariners have to try and get three runs against a guy that throws 105 miles an hour in the bottom of the ninth inning. But it, it is what it is at that point. But it's good to see him. Fun fact, he is the first player in the modern era to debut from NC Central and HBCU. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, so we'll see what these guys have to offer. Okay, we you kind of highlighted both there. Who do we want to start with first? If we're going to kind of dive in on Barroa here... Yeah, you you highlighted some points on him, which is good over the last 11 innings, hasn't given up a run, isn't walking guys. Even when you look at his bullpen time as a whole, since he got converted to a reliever, 077 ERA, 224 FIP, striking out nearly 40 percent of the guys he's facing that will profile. Okay, Matt Brash. Yeah, I see you, Matt Brash. I see you. Yeah. And like Brash, what's going to make or break his effectiveness in that bullpen is is how much he limits walks. He throws strikes. He is going to be a dominant arm, and you're going to see him used in high leverage eventually. You're going to see a electric stuff with a really good fastball and some really good breaking stuff as well. And you're probably going to see him strike out a lot of batters. It's and just a matter sli- of can he limit walks. Yeah, his slider is a bit different than Brash, though. Brash throws a true sweeper. Bro has got that, that gyro bullet slider that just drops straight down, the one that Munoz throws. And it's a really fascinating pitch because... You know, that is going to be his strikeout pitch. It's just such an enticing combination when you have the upside of the arm that he has, that he can touch triple digits while also, you know, getting guys to flail around on that on that sl- uh, on that slider. So I'm, I'm curious to see is not pitched back to back. I don't think at all down in the minor leagues. I was combing through his game. Like, I do not believe he pitched back to back once. And if he's actually going to become a leverage reliever for the Mariners, he is going to have to start pitching on back to back days. That seems like a bit of a later problem at this point, but it's going to be really exciting to see. To be fair, most relievers won't go on back-to-back days in the minors. I know he never did it, and maybe that's a touching point, but I would assume as time goes on, they'll start to work him into those roles. And maybe it's not this year. Maybe the rest of the season, they just throw him out every other day and start to ease him into a role with the idea that in 2024, then he really profiles as a leverage guy that can throw multiple days in a row. 
Yeah, I remember. Uh, I do remember Jerry saying they were gonna. One of the things before they wanted to bring him up and was see how he pitched on back to back days. So that's why I kind of just threw a pin in that. But you know, sometimes the opportunity does not present itself to pitch on back to back days. And if that's the case, that's the case. I think Prelander Barrow was called up with the idea that he is going to stay. We've seen them shuffle through a few bullpen guys now over the last month and a half. Juan Ten, Ty Adcock, Isaiah Campbell, Matt Festa. Barrow, I think, is here to stay. I think the idea with him is once they called him up, he is going to stick as long as he is effective. I agree. How about Devin Sweet now? I mean... Sweet, like you mentioned, you highlighted him. He was kind of having an underrated season down there in Arkansas. He is a former undrafted guy from when the, the draft was 40 rounds, still undrafted, but still has managed to make an impact in the Mariners system. And again, that changeup that he's got, it was a bit of a rough, rough first outing for him yesterday, but his changeup is, you know, big league quality. Oh, it's nasty. I mean, it profiles perfectly in the bullpen. You need a secondary pitch. There it is. It is a deadly changeup. Even him just throwing it a couple times in his first outing, you can see it. I can't wait to see him flash it more as time goes on. And when you look at what he did in double A, you highlighted some of his numbers. Again, 154 ERA, whip was under one, struck out about 12 per nine. Here's what stands out to me. 0.3 home runs per nine. I know he played in Arkansas. I know it's a pitcher's park. I don't care. You're giving up that few home runs. That matters. And that sticks out. Yeah, that that home run number is is insane. It really is. You could extend that sample size, Lyle, all the way back to July of last year. Since July 22nd of last year, 49 in the third innings. The strikeout rate's 33%. And that home run rate is nearly identical. I mean, he has been good over a large sample. So once you see that, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with some of these relievers you have in your bullpen, which it seemed like Ty Adcock was really struggling over his last few outings at the big league level. And we kind of wondered, well, could he get sent down? Is that a possibility? He did end up getting sent down. And these two guys who we thought were probably near next up are getting their opportunity. And it's great that Devin Sweet has a super cool story to go along with it. I mean, again, he can say he is the only. Awesome. And let's hope he sticks because easy guy to root for. Seems like he's got some good stuff. I do want to touch on one last thing before we move on. You mentioned it a couple minutes ago. Now, I am not the manager. I do not have all the information. I'm not on the coaching staff. But I strongly disagreed with where they deployed him for his debut. Because when you're in a one-run game in an in a contest that you really need to win, you need that series, you've got some of your usual guys available. That is not where I wanted to see Devin Sweet make his debut. To be fair to Alex Kirilov, who hit the home run against them, it was a pretty good swing, and most guys don't muscle a pitch like that out over the left field wall as a left-handed hitter, especially because it, yeah, I mean, it, you just don't see it that often. But regardless, that's not where he should be making his debut. I'm not the manager. I don't have all the information. Maybe they like the matchup, but it just didn't make a lot of sense to me as somebody who was sitting and watching on TV. It didn't. It did seem a little bit unfair because then after that home run, he ended up getting out of the inning without much issue. But it's it seemed like a little bit of too much of a high leverage situation in, in a game that you actually needed than sort of an opportunity. Hey, you know, ease yourself in. Like Mariners won today. We didn't see Barroa pitch. 
right? In a game you needed to win. You didn't see him out there. No, you didn't. Which is why I figured they'd go to somebody like Brash or one of the usuals in the ninth inning on Wednesday rather than going to Sweet. And maybe you find a spot for Sweet to get in and make his debut once there's a little bit more of a cushion, either while you're winning or while you're losing. I just didn't love that he was in in that game. I still think Devin Sweet's going to be really good. I hope people aren't freaking out because he gave up one home run in what was really just a really good swing by Alex Kirilov. I just don't love that that's where he debuted. Uh, But you know what? Debut's over. I wish the Mariners had won that game. To be fair to the team, it's not like they scored in that ninth inning anyway, and they were still losing at that point. But sweet going forward, I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to see the changeup. I'm excited to see how he looks as a big league reliever. Let's go down to potentially some of their former teammates, or not, and go down on the farm. All right, Lyle, who are you highlighting this week? I don't know if we've highlighted him yet. But it's time to talk about Lazaro Montez. Maybe we talked about him in the preseason, and the bat is to dream on when you just see who he is in terms of his player profile. Oh, he's tearing it up in the complex league now. He's got three home runs this week. His OPS for the season and the ACL is just under 1,000, the Arizona Complex League. His WRC Plus now sits right around 145, and since mid-June, it's above 150. At 18 years old... He is starting to absolutely swing it down in Arizona. And I think the most important thing about him, he's just not, he's not striking out as much. We, the big concern with him in his debut season in the DSL in the Dominican summer league, that he was striking out too much. He was striking out 33% of the time at age 17, but he comes over to the complex league, a step up from Dominican summer league play. And he's down to 28% on the strikeout rate. Still a little bit high, but when you're going to complement a 28% strikeout rate with a 452 on base percentage and a walk percentage over 23%, <laughs> balances out a little bit, don't, don't you think? I think it evens itself out. If he's walking 20% of the time, he can do whatever he wants. Now, he's yeah. not going to do that. That, that, that. like Nobody walks 20% of the time. That's just not going to sustain But if he can strike out around 23 to I'll even say 27% of the time throughout the minor leagues, and he continues to hit with all this power, he gets on base, he walks, they'll take that. He can strike out a little bit if he's going to do everything else because his absolute peak as a player could be a 35 to 40 home run guy if everything lives up to the hype. And to see what he's doing at 18 years old down in Arizona, oh, it's been fun. I didn't realize he had this kind of eye, but it's great to see, to be honest, because it fits his profile. You'd rather have a profile of a guy who's patient and crushes opposed to a guy that is ultra aggressive, I would say. It's a a little bit more of a sustainable model. It's just, it's insane to see what he's doing. I'm going to just say this, that complex league pitchers uh, are a little raw, to say the least. They don't throw the most strikes in the world. So if Lazaro A can spot the balls, that's great. But they, it also happens that the guys on the mound don't throw a whole bunch of strikes. So balances out a little bit. I would imagine he's spending the rest of the year in the complex league. He's going to be 18 throughout the season. So there's really no reason to move him up beyond the complex league this year. But, you know, say he does a Juan Soto and starts slugging 900 in the complex league over a, about a month. And then they think, well, maybe this guy should be promoted. But we'll have to see. Uh, another guy who recently earned a promotion is who I'm going to highlight. How about Cole Young and Everett Lyle? 
This was these stats were updated as of yesterday before the Aqua Sox played. He started in his first four games in Everett hitting 600. Is that good? It's all right. He could be doing better. He could no. be. And I feel like he could be doing a little bit better than only three extra base hits, four walks, and no strikeouts over those first four games as well. Yeah, it's just not good enough. No, he's lighting it up in Everett. This is awesome. Because the report on Cole Young was always that he was going to hit. And you just wonder how long can that translate throughout the minor leagues. And well, not how long, but what will it look like? So far as he's been moved a level up, hasn't phased him at all. He's crushing the ball. It's pretty cool to see. I don't even think that was his biggest achievement of the week. You know what his biggest achievement of the week was? Why don't you enlighten me? He watched a Mariner game from the pen. Your favorite. Oh, was he in the pen? I saw Harry Ford was in the pen. Was Cole yeah, out there they, too? Yeah, he was with him. Yeah, he was. The problem is with Cole, I'm not going to rat Cole out. Maybe he had a fake. Maybe he didn't. He couldn't have bought a White Claw or Coors Light or any any of your favorite beverages that he would sit out there in the pen and watch the game with. But he was with out with the great folks in the pen watching a baseball game. So that's quite an achievement, Cole. That's a welcome. That's that's that is quite the welcome to the state of Washington here. Crush your first four games in Everett and then go crush a white claw on the pen with all the bros. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he was not doing that. Probably, probably not breaking the law underneath his uh, parent organization hosting him at the ballpark. But he did have a fun time in the pen. He was hanging out. Maybe he was. Uh, maybe people were talking about the Marine Layer podcast and you heard about it. Hey, that'd be great. I mean, I want to get back out to Everett now since both him and Gabby Gonzalez are there now, which shout out to Gabby Gonzalez too, who also got the promotion along with Cole Young. Feels like a good time to get back out there. I mean, we went out there a couple months ago and we talked to Harry Ford, Tyler Locklear, Sam Carlson, a couple others. Feels like it could be a good time to get back down to Everett again with some of these guys getting up there and just see what they got, see it in person. And also hopefully we can stop and talk to him for a little bit. Maybe we can get some content out of it because... This Everett lineup right now is really exciting. I mean, you've got Harry Ford in it. You've got Cole Young in it. You've got Gabby Gonzalez in it. If Tyler Locklear can get back and healthy, he'll be back in the lineup there soon. That's a fun lineup. Here's one more thing to sort of cap off Cole Young's teenage years. He'll be 20 uh, on the 29th of July. He could, There's a very good chance he finishes his teens with more professional walks than strikeouts. Don't see that too often. You almost never see it. We'll see how he continues to hit as he makes his way through the minor leagues. But so far, that bat has lived up to the hype every second of the way. He was hitting well in Modesto. He's crushing it in Everett. He doesn't have crazy power, but he will hit. He doesn't strike out a lot. He makes a lot of contact. He's been as advertised so far. Okay, let's transition with that into our MLB wraparound. First topic here, we've got our first trade. Shintaro Fujinami, reliever for the A's, is going from Oakland over to the Baltimore Orioles. So he now finds his way onto a contending team. I thought it was so fascinating watching Fujinami early in the season with how hard he throws and, and his slider, how his ERA could be so possible, so impossibly bad. I mean, he, at the start of the season, excuse me, I did just burp. His first 18 games, he had an ERA over 12. But he's really reeled it in a lot. 
since that last 16 games. He got moved to the bullpen at the end of April. And in his last 16 games, he has a 2-4-5 ERA, 26% strikeout rate. And potentially now, if he really unlocks himself as a reliever and finds his role as a big league reliever, which if you throw 102, you have a role in most big league bullpens. Think of that trio that the Orioles could roll out. If he if he can just throw strikes at an average rate with the stuff that he has, you have, in order, probably from the 7th to the ninth inning, Fujinami, Yanir Cano, and Felix Bautista. H- how exactly do you game plan to hit that? You might have to get to Fujinami and hope he leaves one out over the middle of the plate. But if the Orioles unlock some things with him that gets really scary because when you have that type of stuff, there is something to work with there always. It's just a question of if you can refine it. And if the Orioles unlock something with them, that all of a sudden is going to remind me of that three-headed monster that the uh, that the Royals had back in 2014 when it was Calvin Herrera, Wade Davis, Greg Holland. If Fujinami's actually that effective with the Orioles, that's what that Baltimore bullpen is going to become. Foolish Baseball is the one who dug up these stats, and he added one more note at the end of each that I think really sheds light on what made him successful. So when he had his struggles as both a starter and a reliever, his ERA, uh, sorry, not his ERA plus, his location plus, which is, it it's essentially normalizes on a 100 scale, like stuff plus that we've talked about before, but this is about you throwing strikes or and commanding your stuff around the strike zone. His location plus in those first 18 games when he really struggled was just 87. So he was 13% below league average at locating his stuff. But in the 16 games since, 16 games? Yeah, 16 games. He's right at about league average. He's at 99. So imagine if he brings it up even a little bit more and gets slightly above average command or control or location, however you want to digest that maybe 102. Like how much better does that get? That's pretty good. You need elite bullpens to make it through the postseason. I think the Orioles are trying to plan for that. They know they have two absolutely dynamite right-handers in innings eight and nine at the back end of that bullpen. They're trying to stretch it out a little bit. Fujinami actually pitches the way he's pitched in June and July, where he's been much better out of the bullpen. Yeah, that that's a scary sight and a bullpen that not a lot of people are going to want to face. Absolutely. Let's get to our next storyline and the bottom of the American League East. How about those Yankees? We talk about the Mariners. Obviously, this is a Mariners podcast. These Yankees are crumbling right now. They're a disaster. Since Aaron Judge went out, they're 15 and 22. Their team WRC plus, the lineup is 82 since he went out. That is not a big league lineup. Oh, you're diving into the numbers. I'm even thinking more along the lines of the fact that the broadcast cameras are catching these guys smiling and joking in the middle of the game in the dugout while they're losing by four runs to the Angels. And then that's parlayed with Tommy Canely literally destroying a cooling fan in the dugout after a bad outing. I mean, he absolutely beat that thing to shreds. Yeah, I, I'd say vibes are high right now for the Yankees between the laughing, the what seems like lack of care about winning, and then Tommy Canley just melting down. Yeah, that's that's vibes are high right now. Yeah, what about the Yes Network broadcast that highlighted the the last five starters they they faced, all with ERAs above four and a half, who went pretty much at least six shutout against the Yankees. <laughs> 
they are not playing good ball right now. Uh, we keep talking about it every time these wildcard teams come up, but this is what's so frustrating about the Mariners is a lot of the teams in front of them are not playing great. It's not like the Yankees have been all that great. I still don't know how much I buy the Red Sox. Obviously, the Angels with Trout out, Otani possibly out the door, feel like a 500 team at best. There's room to climb up the ladder if the Mariners could ever just find a way to build some momentum here. But man, this is not the Yankees year, is it? Hey, and at least Carlos Rodon made it back and is lighting it up. Oh, wait, never mind. Oh, did you see him blow a kiss to some of those Yankee fans that I'm sure were booing him and heckling him as he came off the mound? Oh, I missed that. I did. I think I saw someone tweet about it, but I don't think I saw it. That's so funny. Yeah, he got blown up this week against the <laughs> Angels and, and well, obviously was letting everyone else hear it after he was getting booed. <sighs> what a, what a, what a franchise, you know. This is where I wish that this is going to be a real deep cut for Lyle and I. This is where I wish Don LaGreca was a Yankee fan and we could hear a rant. If you want to hear some of the best sports radio rants of all time, go onto YouTube and look up Don LaGreca. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. Some of you might not. But if you think that stuff is entertaining, you should go look that up because he hosts uh, on 98.7 with Michael K in New York. And... Some of his stuff is great, and this is a moment where I wish he was a diehard Yankee fan and we would get just the best content. He makes Mike and the Mad Dog look tame. Legitimately, he makes those two look tame. Please go watch some of his rant videos on YouTube because they are hilarious. Meanwhile, Yankee fans, I mean, you think this team was 20 games under 500. I know it's been a pretty bad season for the Yankees, especially by their standards. But man, you see fans calling for Cashman and Aaron Boone to get fired every day. You hear the media ripping them. I mean, it's nonstop on social media. We talk about it all the time. New York sports fans and New York sports media, it is just a different breed. You don't see anything like it. The Northeast is so much different than everywhere else. That corridor of DC, Philadelphia, New York, and Boston, like just the the level of intensity and I would say quick to fire the manager uh, among those, those that quadrant is unmatched from anywhere else. It really is. So man, it is uh, the, it. We just live in a different world out here in the Pacific Northwest, a, a di- completely different world. West coast is chill, bro. It's all laid it back. It's all good. Yeah. We got our weed and our IPAs. That's all we need. <laughs> yeah. Third storyline here, Rob Manfred is staying as the commissioner. Yay. Do you know the, the the first note I put down when I saw that? It was just sad. Actually, I just realized I didn't call him by his true name. We, for those who don't know, usually call him by the name of Rob Manfred, not Manfred. We call him Rob Manfred. Maybe that's just what we should refer him to as going forward here on this podcast so everybody can do it with us. How many people on planet Earth are actually happy about this? I'm curious. 30? I was going to say 30. Every owner, because he is just their puppet. You know, actually, it might not even be 30, because they don't need 30 votes. Now, he might get 30 votes when they vote in D.C. next week to give him another five-year term. But they only need 16 votes. So it could be as low as 16, which is would be incredible. Do we think there's actually any fans out there who look at Rob Manfrod and say, yeah, I'm doing a, he's doing a really good job. I am happy 
with him as the commissioner of Major League Baseball. I don't know if those people exist. If anybody that listens to this podcast is actually happy or not even happy, indifferent about Rob Manfrod, please let us know. You can DM us. You can reply to us. Do whatever you want. I refuse to believe these people exist until I physically meet one or see one on Twitter. I have yet to see it. Lal, I made a list of the the things I'm most looking forward to in Rob Manfred's next stint as commissioner of Major League Baseball. Number one, his once-a-year press conference that he refuses to answer tough questions and makes multiple headlines because he's incompetent in front of a microphone. Number two, wherever the next Major League Baseball draft is where he actually has to get up on stage and announce to a crowd of people where I feel like he is very uncomfortable in front of all these people. Number three, he goes to the World Series and he hands the World Series trophy away and stutters and stammers his way through handing out the World Series trophy because, well, he's, again, not good with people, which I feel like as someone who's supposed to be a, a people pleaser and and running a league that's supposed to primarily entertain fans, that he does a very shitty job at it. Another thing we're now going to ask you guys, our listeners, to look up on YouTube. We told you to look up Don LaGreca. When you're done with that, go look up Rob Manfred presenting the MVP trophy of the 2020 World Series to Corey Seager. Maybe some of you remember it. Maybe some of you don't. I swear, if you didn't know any better, you'd think this guy was drunk when he was presenting the award. I mean, the (laughs) amount of words that he slurred in that speech from being thrown off by all the booze, which, by the way, was only like 12,000 people because it was the COVID season and not a lot of fans were at that game, was unbelievable. Please go look up that speech that he gave to Corey Seager when he gave him the trophy. I mean, he sounds like he had just gotten out of some bar and drank in like 10 beers because he is slurring his words left and right. Yeah, he is not a people person at all. And yet he's our commissioner. He will be commissioner until at least 2030. Awesome. Just awesome. You know, I kind of miss Bud Selig, I got to say. I remember Larry Stone talking about this. At least you could, like, call up Bud Selig and call him at his office and he'd answer. But I know none of these people actually get to talk to the commissioner ever. Yeah, he won't do media. He won't do media because he's not good at it. And, well, truthfully, I wonder if his PR team just doesn't want him talking anymore, considering every time he steps in front of a mic, he says something stupid between, oh, you know, maybe we actually should have suspended Astros players for cheating. Or, you know, uh, it's actually not John Fisher's fault that the A's are leaving Oakland. I mean, this guy is a self-deprecating – or no – he, he is a ticking time bomb when he does media. Sad. That's all I have to say. Like my note said, sad. Man fraud. And that's what I'll end with. Okay, with that, let's keep the lighthearted energy going here. Because it's been a tough day for Mariners fans. Let's get to our Russell Wilson umpire of the week. We've got a good one this week, TJ. In fact, we were debating who it was going to be this week. And you emphatically said, It has to be this guy. I tried to make an argument for the umpire that ejected Ty France, but you said no. It has to be this guy that we are presenting the award to. So why don't you take the honor and present it? If we're talking about sad, this is something 
I've seen before, but maybe not in this exact script. I would like to congratulate Malachi Moore. He was behind the plate for Tuesday's Blue Jays-Padres game. Now, let me lay out this scenario to you. Alec Manoa is making, I think, his second start back. He's getting roughed up. I think the zone's a little tight on him. And pitching coach for the Blue Jays, Pete Walker, takes a visit out to the mound. Now, usually, Lyle, when you go out and you meet on the mound, how long does it take the umpire to go out there? Usually he probably waits about 10 to 12 seconds until the meeting started, and then he starts to make a slow walkout. So usually they'll walk out there with about, you get 30 seconds, they'll walk out there with about 10 seconds remaining. Malachi Moore waited about three seconds before walking out to the meeting. And the funny thing is he walks up to the meeting. He's not like breaking it up. He kind of stands next to the meeting. He's looking off into the distance and Pete Walker's covering his mouth, talking about something. So Malachi Moore obviously hears something he does not like, while Pete Walker is not talking to him and tosses him out of the game. (laughs) uh, He tosses Pete Walker out of the game for Pete Walker not even talking to Malachi Moore. Probably said the strike zone stunk or fucking sucked, however you would like to describe that. It probably had a couple F-bombs in there. Those are usually the magic words that get you tossed. But I gotta say, that was the one of the first times I've seen an umpire standing next to someone talking to someone else and ejecting him for what he said to somebody else. Fascinating. I think Malachi Moore had every intention to throw Pete Walker out of the game before he even got out there. That's what I saw some tweets about, is I think he had every intention to throw him out. Because how in the world does that even happen? Yeah, he did. There, he was getting ejected either... In the, in the huddle, or he was going to wait until he said one word to him as he's walking back to the dugout and then toss him out of the game. That, folks, is what we call a power trip. And an ump show. These are the people that Mr. Manfred enables. Remember. And we'll say it again. We saw the challenge system at the Futures game. It's not like this technology doesn't work for big league ballparks. It could be in the major leagues right now. It's not. Sad. I think a common theme here of those la- these last couple of subjects. Sad. Well, maybe it's this whole podcast. This episode, I mean. Not our podcast as a whole, but this episode. Yeah, we've tried to keep it lighthearted for pieces of it, but there's been some downs in this podcast for sure. We can finish on a lighthearted note. Let's get to Speak Your Mind. Speak Your Mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. All right, Lyle, what's on your mind this week? I think I have to flip it back to you because I've got one pressing topic on my mind, but we're going to save it for the end because it may be extensive talk. So you've got a couple others on your mind. I'll flip it back to you so you can highlight them. So those, first of all, uh, Seahawks throwbacks that were released yesterday, uh, 1,000 out of 100 on the fire scale. Best jerseys in the NFL. We've been yes. waiting for years for the for the Seahawks to bring these back. There were some people that were worried. It's like, could they mess this up? No. 11 out of 10. Yeah, they are they are great. I think I have a, a JSN jersey with my name on it. I think I got to get one. I think I got to switch. I've, I've not bought an, uh, a Seahawks jersey in nearly a decade now. But I think, I think uh, JSN's calling my name. I think so. He's the one who debuted in the beautiful video they had across social media. 
which which is funny because you know he was born in 2002 2003 right you have probably had no idea what these were and none of the no idea what any of the things in that room were but I, I'm glad they brought them back. They've they've needed it for a while, and people are going to buy a lot of them. They're promoting him a lot, aren't they? I mean, not only was he born really late, but he hasn't even played a snap with the Seahawks yet. Now, he's probably going to be really good. But there's guys on this team like DK Metcalf, like Geno, like Tariq Woolen that you could easily have put in that video. But no, it was Jackson Smith and Jigba, and you, my friend, sound like you're sipping all that tea too because of all the guys on the team. It sounds like you want his jersey more than anybody's. Who's going to catch touchdowns? Who's going to complain about that? I do have one cornerback. I have Sherm. And I'm honestly shocked it wasn't Witherspoon. Could have been Witherspoon, but I don't know. Maybe they liked the number 11. I think JSN's just a little bit more marketable. I mean, big-time receiver at Ohio State had that insane Rose Bowl. He's going to be a premier weapon in the offense. So I think I think that's probably why they opted to go with him instead, if they were going to use one of the rookies. If I have to get a jersey, and I'm like you, I haven't bought a new Seahawks jersey in forever. DK's always an easy one. Man, I love Tariq Woolen. I think if I get one of those throwback jerseys, I think it's going to be Woolen. It's a good idea. That's a good idea. Second thing I have, are you going to go see Oppenheimer or Barbie? I mean, this is the mo- This is one of the most hyped movie weekends I can remember in quite a while. But Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer directed by Chris Nolan, is really catching everyone's attention and I have very much plans to go see it this weekend if I can find an opportunity to do so on one of the weekend days I'm fascinated by it but I was curious if you were going to go see it as well maybe not this weekend considering I'll probably be back out at the ballpark this weekend doing a bunch of stuff but if I have some time at some point in the next few weeks sure I mean I didn't really have much intention to but you're kind of selling me on the idea that Oppenheimer could be really good it's funny you seem to give pretty good recommendations on TVs and movies I mean, a few years back, I never had any intention of watching Game of Thrones, and you were very much in my grill for a long time that I needed to start it, and now I love Game of Thrones. So you're pretty good with recommendations with stuff like that. I'll take your word for it if you think Oppenheimer is going to be good, that I can go give it give it a watch if I have some time. I don't know if I'm going to see Barbie, but I'll see Oppenheimer. thing is, Barbie's supposed to be as good, like over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes good. So it's like curious. It's not something that would be number one on my list, but... I could imagine that yeah, I, might, I might eventually have to watch it. If, if it's out on streaming, maybe I'll, maybe I'll watch it. But Oppenheimer, the it, I think the biggest appeal is how they shot it. They shot it on the special like IMAX movie camera. So it's meant to be seen in 70 millimeter, uh, 70 millimeter IMAX, which I believe there's only about 12 IMAX theaters in the country that... Uh, that have that and the one in Seattle center does not, that does not, that is not a, not a, an actual IMAX camera. It's like a quote unquote fake IMAX theater. So uh, the one, the Harkins one in near, near campus, I believe is one of the, one of the 12 in the country. And this is where I would kind of miss being at school. Cause that would be very convenient. What was the last movie you saw in theaters? Top Gun. Very much worth it. I never saw Top Gun. Maybe I'll have to watch it. I oh, think the it's la- awesome. I think the last movie I saw in theaters was The Last Spider-Man, which was No Way Home. So that came out when? year and a half ago, I think. It's been a long time since I've seen a movie in the theaters, but maybe it'll have to be Oppenheimer. Yeah, it's supposed to be a visual masterpiece, which 
Funny enough, because quick backstory, if you don't know, Oppenheimer's the guy who invented the atomic bomb. And I don't remember the exact wording that they didn't exactly use CGI to replicate exploding a nuke. So I'm like, well, where, how, how else would you plan on doing that? That's uh, it's kind of interesting. I didn't feel the ground shake, so I don't think they detonated a nuke, but thought that was uh, that was pretty curious. Should we get to our last subject? I think we have to, and we may need to spend a few minutes on it because we save the best for last. This is what we've really been thinking about this week. All right. I'm just going to lead it in with some audio and then we will discuss from there. Skip can say whatever he wants, but Skip, whenever you refer to me, whenever you speak to me, whenever you address me, address address me as all pro Stanford graduates, because those are some accomplishments you will never, you can aspire to, you will never accomplish. You have never accomplished anything. So, but... Um, those things are on my resume. Those are those are what I've done. It's my second year in the NFL, going on my third. I mean, you tell me who's wrong. Okay, I, I'll accept that. I, I think I've accomplished more in my field than you have in yours, though you're just getting started. So, so I'm I'm the top of my field. So I'm all pro. I'm the best, one okay. of the best 22 players in the NFL. You're, you're going to brush it off, but I don't think you're the best 22 anything in sports and in media and well, anything. I think you debatable. think more of yourself than. You actually can, you know, prove. But okay. Do you think you're like better than Darrell like Revis is right now? In my in my 24 years of life, <laughs> I'm better at life than you. Okay. So let's, All right, that's let's, fair. Let, let's All get right. let's get down right. to well, that. Let's, let's stay. Test. Let's not get personal here. I just no, want to no, know. Just not- <laughs> so some of you may be sitting there and wondering, well, that's some old audio from about 10 years ago. What in the world does that have to do with anything? Well. For those of you who hear us talk about Skip Bayless a lot on this podcast and kind of roll your eyes, I apologize, but we're about to do it again because there are now rumors swirling out there that after Shannon Sharp has left Undisputed for new endeavors, the possible replacement could be none other than one Richard Sherman sitting across the table from Skip Bayless every morning on Undisputed. That's unbelievable. I can't believe that was 11 years ago, that clip. That is... That's amazing. And I think the funniest thing to come out of all this, apparently there's no beef between the two anymore, which I do not buy for a single second because there is nobody on planet earth who holds a grudge like Richard Sherman does. What like that? That's unbelievable. The the thing is though, I think about it this way. I've, I've seen how this whole scenario has played out that the next person for that spot is supposed to essentially be skips punching bag. If Sherman's going to be on there, He's not going to be Skip's punching bag. There, he is so smart, and so uh, he would be so articulated with some of his arguments that I think Skip might have a bit of a hard time there. He might be the person to finally make Skip's head explode on the air. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that's just such a golden line. That one. You are not the top twenty-two of anything. I mean, wow. The the funny thing is, because we heard Sherm do this on, on Seattle Sports Radio earlier this year, where he'll go on a program, and he, even though he, a lot of athletes, you know, claim they don't ingest any media. And Sherm, when he makes these appearances on media, knows exactly what he's going to do. And I'd be fabu- I would be fascinated by the game plan he'd have going into an undisputed show with Skip Bayless. Like, how is he going to, how is he going to light Skip's ass on fire every single day? Yeah, he held a grudge going on local Seattle radio, like you just said. You think he doesn't have a grudge against Skip Bayless anymore? No. Those are PR quotes being put out there because if Sherman takes this job, 
He wants to get a paycheck. And I don't blame him. That show is going to pay you millions and millions of dollars a year. If I were in your position, I would have my PR team put out the exact same thing. But let's be real. You still hold a grudge against Skip Bayless. And you know what? Skip Bayless, I think, still holds a grudge against you. Because I remember less than a year ago on his podcast talking about, again, I don't watch or listen to his podcast, but this stuff does pop (laughs) up Thank you for clarifying. Thank you for clarifying. But people retweet it. It's on Twitter. And naturally, I see it. He talked about the most awkward moment in his sports media career was this interaction with Richard Sherman when they were on ESPN. And he was ripping Sherman again in that podcast interview that he was doing, or not the interview, but just him talking on his podcast about it. So Skip still holds a grudge against him. This is why I can't even believe I'm saying this. If Sherm takes that job, I think I may actually have to start watching Undisputed, like on a regular basis, because there is no chance that either what Skipper's saying or what Sherm is saying is even remotely true. And I think it's going to lead to straight up fights on the air. And the biggest reason why Shannon Sharp left Undisputed, because Skip would throw in these little personal attacks at you on air, which would drive Shannon Sharp absolutely crazy. But it's Skip's show. So Shannon didn't have any power in that stance to really take effect with Skip. You think Sherman's not going to have some personal attacks ready if, if Skip's lobbing in a little little darts over here about Sherman's playing career and and all of these other things? Like, yeah, he's going to... You think he's going to get personal. I mean, that's, oh, it's going to be great. I really hope he actually takes this job because, yeah. again, I think I'm going to start watching if he's on. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I don't even know who the other candidates are, but I think, I don't know if there's anybody better for this than Richard Sherman. Significantly less exciting. Charles Barkley would be fun, too. I think they just fight, but. What a program. Well, for our program, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Full video podcasts are on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, go give us a like, a comment, go hit subscribe. Helps us out a bunch. If you're watching on the audio forums, go download the episodes. Go give us a five-star review. That helps us big time, too. And you can follow us on social media on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. For TJ Matthewson, this is Lyle Goldstein. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H E R O.co.